Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Now introduce you to Hussein al-Nashid. He's a young man who's been lecturing for eight years, and he's studying Islam mainly through self-education and through some significant mentorship. I'm not going to list all of his mentors, but he has some really significant ones. And he has had the blessing of sharing his passion for and knowledge of his faith all over the world, North America, Europe, South America, Africa, and the Middle East. So he's well-traveled. And he's had the opportunity to present uh, at major universities both in the UK and here in the United States. Now his primary focus is on contemporary issues facing today's youth in the West. And he seeks to draw on examples of the life of the Holy Prophet and the Imams, the Ahlul Bayt, to serve as solutions for these social problems. Now he's been running a number of successful workshops tackling very difficult topics and often very taboo topics such as drug and alcohol abuse, general addictions, domestic issues such as parenting and domestic violence, and he's been offering workshops for newlywed couples as well, and new families. This is important work, building up the community from the ground up, building up the individual, helping them overcome the challenges that unfortunately do not, uh, we are not immune to despite being of this faith. Now, without a doubt, his educational background in media and public relations, as well as theater and poetry, have provided him with a very creative edge to make a strong and positive connection with his audience, particularly the youth, who often are marginalized or forgotten about in many of our programs. Now, he also does a lot of interfaith work as well with Sikh community, Hindus, Jewish communities in Austin, Texas, as well as here in New York, and working with Christian communities as well, building bridges and making connections. He values also bringing the youth to do service work, service work as a means, as a means of spiritual development and faith in action. And he works with various homeless shelters, care homes, and here he's bringing the Muslim youth to turn their attention that's often highly focused on the self, turn it towards the feeding and caring of their fellow human beings. And this helps prepare those young people to be ambassadors of the awaited Imam Mahdi, ajallallahu ta'ala farajahu sharif. As well as to be better Muslims. So please join me in welcoming Hussein al-Nashid with a loud salawat ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان اللعين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين خاتم النبيين سيدنا وسيد الأولين والآخرين بالقاسم محمد وعلى آل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين المنتقبين المنتجبين المرمومين الذين أذهب الله عنهم الرجس وطهرهم تطهيرا esteemed chefs, respected panel, honored guests, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. There's quite a lot to go through, but with time um, being restrictive, um, we will try and just 
touch on a few important things which I feel um, I have been privileged to share with you through life's experience. The narrative which we will be taking about Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is not so much concerned with Muhammad the person, but rather with the community of Muhammad The title of my talk is Muhammad, a prophet without a nation. Um, and I say this respectfully, that's not to say we are not Muslims, but it's to say being Muslim is not enough. In Surah Al-Kabut, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a verse in the Quran which should serve as a reminder. One of my mentors often told me, whenever you read the Quran, don't read it in the narrative that it's come to reprimand the Jewish and the Christian and the non-believers or the person sitting to your right or to your left. But read the Quran as if Muhammad was sent to nobody else except the That each and every verse in this holy book is addressing me, the same It's addressing you, the Muhammads and the Ali's and the John's and the Joseph's and the Fatimas and whoever you may be as an individual. Because only when you can read the Quran and the religion through a narrative that it's about my own spiritual well-being and development, will you be able to accept it and to appreciate it. But whenever we read the Qur'an as it's making me look better than thou, then really you haven't become a Muslim, you've just become a critic of everybody else. Surah Ankabut is very interesting in the sense that it's called the story of the spider. And Allah gives a beautiful example in that whereby He says, surely the house of the spider is the most feeble in that it is not really a home that's built for future. It's built for the now, and as soon as it captures anything or anybody moves it, it's a very weak foundation. So you cannot establish a future upon that. Rather, a strong house made of brick seems to be a stronger home. In that verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or in that chapter, in the second verse of it, the second verse in the Quran tends to be very strong and indicative, that is because it's a beginning statement, it's the outline of what is to come. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Ahasibun nas, not the Muslims, not the Jews, not the Christians, did people think, or do the people think? That means all of us, humanity. Do the people think that it is sufficient for them to say we are Muslims and that they will not be tried and tested? Say nay, surely you will be tested and trialed just like the nations that came before you. If I try to break this down and give you a contemporary example, it's like somebody walks around and he or she is boasting that I am a student in Harvard University or in Oxford University, or wherever you may be. That does not qualify you to become a doctor. That does not make you a scientist. You are simply an individual who made an active decision and a choice, consciously, to become part of a society. But the society will not carry you to fame and success, but rather it is your own actions within that society and your adherence to the values within that society, and later on your qualification that comes from the society, which will render you to become successful.
Otherwise, going to Harvard and wasting it, parting away as all you know, the majority of us do when we go to university because we're away from home and there's no restraints. If you spend that time just celebrating and partying and then come the exams and you fail, you become twice the failure. You don't become twice the successful individual. Because people say, well, here was an individual who had the privilege of going to such an esteemed and well-established institute, yet they wasted that opportunity. So not only are you showing the world that you are not qualified with your knowledge, but you are not even responsible. So the blame becomes twice upon you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this very issue in the Quran in Surah Al-Fajarat, or Fajirat, whereby he says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, When the Bedouins came to Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, and they did say to him, we believe in your message. Allah responds on behalf of the Prophet, and he says, no, do not say you believe, but say you have submitted. For surely you cannot be believers until faith lives within your hearts. Which now sets the platform for an understanding that there are two scopes within Islam, the religion. There are those students who enrolled. When they enroll, they are called Muslims. But there are those who graduate from the school of Islam and they become mu'mineen, believers, faithful believers. And they can only become faithful believers and qualified when the institute of Islam and the principles of Islam reside within their hearts and resonate through their actions. They manifest themselves. Now I ask the question that we as Muslims here in the West, did we simply come here so that we can become educated and successful businessmen and women and leave? Or should we leave a legacy behind and a contribution to our fellow human beings? Because the religion of Islam has many solutions to many of the 21st century social problems. Islam, as Christianity, as well as Judaism, gives a great importance to morals within society. But I'm speaking here at first to myself because my ears are much closer to me than yours. And I say to myself that unfortunately some of us, and I don't say all of us, have this attitude when we were growing up, we were told don't hang about with this person because he drinks alcohol, therefore he's a bad person. Oh, and these people are Christians or Jews or Hindus or atheists and they all will burn in hell save yourself first. Let me tell you something, Islam strongly believes in what goes around, comes around. Because if I ignore the person who is, you know, suffering from alcohol abuse or drug abuse or whatever decline of morality, that person tomorrow can affect my children. So therefore I must embrace them and say to them that I am not here to judge you. But I want to be in the position of a concerned human being for my brothers and sisters who I trace my blood relation back to them through Adam and Eve and I'm concerned for their well-being and I tell them that what you are doing though at the moment may seem right to you from where I'm standing I can see what is wrong within that and until we can foster that love and that relationship and that care and we can nurture that within our societies 
Muhammad will not have a nation. Because Muhammad sallallahu when he came, if we look, and obviously this is no hitting on any particular religion, but Muhammad wasn't a Jehovah Witness. He never went around knocking on people's houses, door to door saying, come to Islam. It was his concern for his fellow human beings. Whenever he saw wrong, he did not say to himself, I will not associate with this person, but rather he rushed towards them and he tried to help them through his akhlaq and through his personality and through his concerns. So, sallallahu Muhammadin Ali I would like to conclude. As always, Karbala for me is the platform where we can hope for a better world. Because it was Karbala that taught me everything that I know. It is Karbala that compels me to do what I do. And there is absolutely nothing else. I'm not in it to win it, and neither am I in it for the fame. And I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. But I can tell you that Karbala taught me, and I just want to say on a side note, as we mentioned John the Baptist, there is a point for me in the story of Karbala when the severed head of Imam Hussein was taken to Damascus. We are told that in that very place is where John the Baptist was beheaded, and that is where he is buried. And we are told that when the head of Imam Hussein was placed before Yazid, the first thing that Imam Hussein did by way of miracle is he said the following words, May God's peace and blessings be on John the Baptist, my brother in faith and in mission. Do you know what that says to me as an individual? That we must live such a life that our values must continue even after our demise. That is the legacy which we must leave behind. But let me tell you something about, for me, if you were to say who is the best student of Rasulullah, I will tell you hands down, it is Abu Fadl al-Abbas In his honor, Muhammad. Why do I say Abu Fadl al-Abbas? And hopefully for us to be informed on him. Imagine a life where from your very inception you are told what you will be and what you are working towards. Imagine that your father and your mother are constantly reminding you that you will be a successful doctor. And your peers around you remind you that you will be a successful doctor and that you will render a service to humanity. And you go through the institutions that you must go through and you qualify, and you get your degree at the age of 28 or wherever it may be, but you led a whole lifestyle, building up to this one day when you will graduate and you will become a doctor. And that day comes and you graduate, and you have an interview, and you are successful, and you are told that you have been given the job. And then a person who you revere as your master, both in the spiritual sense and in the personal development sense, comes up to you and says, you can never work as a doctor. Personally speaking, I would feel offended and I will say, no, I will become a doctor because I've done this and because I've done that and because and because and because. Abu Fadl al-Abbas, from the very first day that he was born, Imam Hussein took him to his father and he said, oh father, Hold your son. Imam Ali says to Hussein, 
O son, hold your brother, for he was born for you, he shall live a life for you, and he shall make his sacrifice for you. He is yours, not mine. Abbas continuously growing up, his mother would tell him, Hussein, before yourself. Hussein, before yourself. Even in Karbala, his sister Zainab reminds him, Abbas, you were born to fight and defend on this day, to defend your beloved brother. But when it came the turn for Abbas to fight and to defend his brother Imam Hussein, Imam Hussein said to him, Abbas, put your sword away, today you will not fight. Did he argue? Did he say, Imam, my whole life has been a build-up to this day? He made a simple statement by the river Euphrates. And that statement was not to the people, but to himself. Ya nafs min ba'd al-Husaynihum. O my soul, humiliate yourself before Hussein. For you have never been his equal and you shall never be superior to him. What Abbas taught me on that day, and what I hope to pass on the message to you, is that Abbas taught us one thing. Our life from the beginning to the end is about ourselves and how we must kill that ego within us. That we must always put the betterment of humanity before the betterment of myself. That we must always think in the collective term and not in the singular term. Abbas taught me that on that day when Imam Hussein said to him, we do not want history to remember the people of peace as warmongers. And I know surely that if you are to fight today, you will devastate the army. So therefore, I want the people to know that we had a defensive stance for our values. We are ready to die for what we believe in, but we are not ready to kill others for what we believe in. So I hope for myself and for all of us that we believe in what we believe. As Allah says in the Quran al kareem Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, O you who believe, believe. Let us believe that Islam is a religion of peace. And let us believe that Christianity is also a religion of peace. And let us endeavor to realize that. And I have a final point to make here. In one of my essays and blogs that I wrote, I want us all to come to an understanding what Allah means when He says, Muhammad is rahmatan lil alameen. Muhammad is not the personal property of a Muslim. Muhammad is a mercy to mankind, the same way that Christ is a mercy to mankind. And what I mean to say by that is whenever someone draws a cartoon caricature of Prophet Muhammad or insults Prophet Muhammad, what do we as Muslims do? We have a reaction, but it's a, it's a wrong reaction, at least in my humble opinion. We go out and we protest. But let me ask you a question. Jesus, son of Mary, who God praises in the Quran from cover to cover, is constantly made mockery of in South Park and so on and so forth. Why is it that the Muslims who claim to believe in Jesus as a prophet of God do not do anything when he is insulted? And for me, according to my humble analysis, is because we do not believe that Jesus is the Prophet of God or Muhammad is the Prophet of God. We believe Jesus is a Prophet for the Christians 
and Muhammad is a prophet for the Muslims. We must understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Baqarah, those who believe in what was sent to you and what was sent before you. We must give Christ the same level of importance and reverence as we give to Muhammad. And when I say that, I don't mean we praise Christ himself. I mean we must give the same level of respect that we give to Muslims, to Christians. Because this is the community of Christ and this is the community of Muhammad. And if we sincerely believe that Muhammad and Isa ibn Maryam loved one another, then we the followers must also love one another. personally and deeply, and to see how we as Muslims and people of faith are in this stream of the heritage of God, that our beloved Imam Hussein acknowledged this in a miraculous way, and that Prophet Muhammad has a relationship as an example and the leader of the Prophet, reminding us to respect the Prophet, including and thus the community. An excellent reminder, beautifully touching. And again, looking at the story of Karbala as a way for us to purify ourselves, letting the self be reduced and the service to humanity and to others is primary. That's a difficult task for this human ego that always wants to be at the fore that's what our whole field of psychology is about, dealing with the ego of the human being. But this was a wonderful reminder. So thank you again. It's an honor to have such a great panel with us here today.